to the book of Daniel chapter 9. We're continuing in our three-week series on the little four-verse prophecy in Daniel 9, verses 24 through 27. As I said when I introduced it, uh, this is often attempted in one week, and, and it's really impossible to do. So that's why we're doing three, and to be quite honest, three is really pushing it. So we don't have the luxury of reviewing. If you weren't here last week, ask somebody. We're going to uh, dive right in. You remember last week, I'll just say in a couple of sentences, we uh, saw from verse uh, 25. Go ahead and uh, do the slide there, John. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Seven plus 62 equals what? 69. So there's 69. That's almost all the 70 weeks that he introduced in verse 24. All but one. So there's a prophecy. We know who Messiah is. We know when he came. We should be able to look in the scripture and see the wonderful fulfillment. First, we had to find which decree he's talking about. Because if you remember, there were four. Three in Ezra, one in Nehemiah. And um, did you all see, did you all agree, by the way, it was clear it was the one in Nehemiah, wasn't it? No ambiguity. You're smarter than uh, probably more than 50% of the commentators because they'll pick one of the first three there for some reason. It was very clear. It was the last one. We know the date because you can look it up in Britannica or any other encyclopedia when Artaxerxes started to rule and uh, the 20th year was 444 B.C. So we say, great, let's look, 444 B.C., if you remember, our 69 weeks breaks down to 483. We know they have to be some sort of a year. If it's a regular year, we add that to 444. We get something like 40 A.D. Whoops. We're still not there yet. Doesn't work. Don't give up. Okay? I'll tell you, the real treasures in the Word of God are for those who are willing to dig deep. If you don't put a lot of work into your Bible study, you're not going to get a lot out of it. Uh, but on the other hand, as we're going to sing in our closing hymn, I believe, uh, assuming Kirsten is willing to do it for me, I gave her a last-minute change. There, are, uh, Your word is like a garden, Lord, and like a mine as well, full of treasures. We're going to find that as we uh, continue in our study. So we're kind of at a uh, standstill right here. we got 444. I put up the birth date of Christ. You, some are shocked when they see 4 B.C., they say, why isn't it zero? It's because they guessed around 400 A.D. and they guessed wrong when they set the calendar to zero. But he was actually born about it. It's not, it's not important right now. We know this doesn't work out the way it stands right now. We have to do some more work because we know God is better than the soothsayers and the tabloids like National Enquirer, don't you think? You're going to find out it's fulfilled exactly when we're done. But it's for only for those who are willing to dig into the Word of God. So I, I promised you last week, this week we're going to play detective. We're going to go on the trail of the Antichrist, the greatest villain that ever lived. Hasn't lived yet, but when he, he does, he will have been, by far, the greatest evil villain that ever lived. We're going to call forth witnesses. We're going to call forth six of them. They're going to be trustworthy witnesses because they're witnesses from the Word of God. And they're going to testify to us about this one. Uh, we're going to ask them questions, and uh, it's interesting that in each case, the Antichrist has a different alias. Interesting. Tom's really getting into this. We're going we're gonna to create what we call uh, his rap sheet. Go ahead uh, there, John. This is the rap sheet. This is a, an abbreviated rap sheet. Rap sheet. You know what a rap sheet is? Tell us about his M.O. M.O., modus operandi, means the, thi the way he acts, the, the things he does, and the way he does them. This is limited. It's, it's just seven uh, characteristics of the Antichrist found throughout Scripture, covering Scripture, written over thousands of years. Isn't the Word of God wonderful? It ties in just like this. We're going to start in Daniel. We're going to go all the way to Revelation. You're going to see these things repeated over and over and over again. And, of course, we're doing it for a reason. Because at the end of the trail, when we hunt him down... We're going to follow him to his lair, to the headquarters, and God dropped the golden key there that's going to unlock the prophecy back in Daniel chapter 9. So, let's go through these. We're going to see these. His evil career lasts three and a half years. Okay? Uh, he, it doesn't mean just his career. He, 
Obviously, his career lasts longer than that. It lasts at least seven but, uh, years. But his evil, where he really comes out and makes it plain what he's really like, is three and a half. He, secondly, he persecutes believing Israel. Third, he is a notorious blasphemer. Fourth, he is worshipped as God. Five, he is linked with a great idol. Six, he is empowered by Satan. And seven, his evil career ends, terminates at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so what we're going to do now, I want you to make note of these because you're going to do it. We're going to turn to these passages and as I read them, I want you to say, okay, number three or four when you see it in the passage. I might have to pause and look up at you to give you a little prompt. Okay, but I want you to see, we're going to look at six passages, six witnesses, and they're all going to agree about these characteristics, this uh, rap sheet of the Antichrist. The reason we're doing this is because he is the one who was described in verse 27 of the prophecy we're looking at right now. It may look really fuzzy to you, but he's there. Look at it. Verse 27. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate or better poured out on the one who makes desolate. Pretty fuzzy, isn't it? You, you see any characteristics there? John already spoke up. What do you see? Number one, which is three and a half years. You see that? In the middle of the week, you should bring an end to sacrifice and offering. He's a good guy up until that point, publicly. But then he breaks the covenant, and on the wing of the bad stuff, we can say that desolation, abominations occur at his hand. Okay? Anything else there? It's a little tougher for you. There's, a, there's one that's not on this list that I'll point out in a minute. But um, one of them is his evil career terminates at the second coming of Christ. Do you remember last week when we looked at verse 24? I pointed out a very particular item. I said one is very important here. Do you remember which one it was? Very good. Bring in everlasting righteousness. Do you remember that? I said that's a critical one because it says this 70 weeks extends up to that point. That's the second. He, Jesus Christ comes at that point to set up his millennial kingdom and so by the way i think you've already gathered a lot of you already know this we're talking about end times here in this last week here in verse 27 aren't we it hasn't even happened yet the first 69 has already happened a long time ago therefore what yeah there's a big gap and that's not unusual it happens in prophetic scripture all the time we're going to see it as we look through some of the other scriptures there's a big gap but god talks about them as if they were run together why very important because the 70 weeks are decreed for daniel's people in their holy city god is only talking about the nation of israel here and they're laid aside and have been since the crucifixion of the lord jesus and the gentiles have replaced them in the in the primary dealings of god they're laid aside We'll look at that in a minute. So this 70th week here in, in verse 27 is yet to come. It's way in the future or probably very near in the future. There's another characteristic here of the Antichrist. Uh, the word abomination, which is used in verse 27, often refers to what in Scripture? Very good. Yes. And I, did I already say that or did you guys know that? That's very good. That's right. Idolatry. And the, the wonderful thing about this, boy, I love the Word of God uh, in this prophecy because in many cases it reads like a Dorothy Sayers mystery. I mean, it's so wonderful the way God couches things in kind of buried terms. And in the case of the abomination, it's going to get clearer as we go chronologically through the Bible. God makes it clearer and clearer. Here he just talks about an abomination and desolation. Later, he's going to say the abomination of desolation is standing. You understand? A little clearer, right? And then finally, Jesus is going to say the abomination of desolation is standing in the temple. Isn't that neat? Well, I think it is. It's a progressive, you know, further unveiling of the uh, details. So that's an idol. And the Antichrist is associated with an idol. 
That was number what? Five. Very good. So we got the middle of the week, uh, therefore three and a half years, number one. We got number five. And um, by the way, on this list, number seven is critical. We must always have number seven if we're going to conclude the guy we're reading about is the Antichrist. His career terminates at the second coming. Because there are other similar characters like Antiochus Epiphanes, if you ever heard of him, who was a, a bad guy back before Christ. And he did a lot of similar things to the Antichrist. But he wasn't the Antichrist. And his career didn't terminate at the second coming of Christ. But when we see a bad guy who who's, uh, meets these qualifications and his career terminates, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, we're on safe ground. That's the Antichrist. Okay? And so we've already shown that uh, because of the phrase that said, to bring in everlasting righteousness. That's the second coming right there. Um, there's one more, and that is persecution of believing Israel. Because it says, he breaks the, the uh, covenant which he formed with many. The many has to be Israel, because the prophecy is decreed for them, if you remember. And then this idea of desolations clearly is, is talking about the bad stuff that he does to Israel. Now, you, now, don't worry, you're saying at this point, I'm a little fuzzy on this, Rick, don't worry. Of all the prophecies we're going to look at, this one necessarily has to be fuzzy. Because this is the only one where God specifically appoints a date in the future. Isn't that great, by the way? A date? Man, that's great. But he had to couch it in mysterious terms because, for example, in Corinthians it says, if the powers that be had known the wisdom of God, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. God kept his ways and his plans hidden. He wrote it in such language so that now it's after the fact we can read it and understand it. But beforehand, even the prophets and the angels looked into the scripture to try to figure out what God is up to and they, they couldn't do it. They couldn't break the code. It wasn't until after that we can do it in particular when he's picking a date. Okay, I told you there's one other uh, clue in here, a big one for students of prophetic scripture and it's really neat how God does it. It's in verse uh, 26. It said... The people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Does anybody know why that's a clue for the Antichrist? Don't, don't speak up because it takes too long, but I'm just curious. It's a big one. First of all, who destroyed the, the city and the sanctuary after the crucifixion, which was in 20, verse 26? The Romans. So that's the people of the prince who is to come are the Romans. The prince who is to come is the bad guy of verse 27. Antichrist. So that says that this bad guy is going to come out of the Roman Empire. But it's very wonderful how God talks about, he doesn't say the bad guy does the bad stuff in leveling the city back in verse 26. You notice that? It says the people of the prince who is to come. That's the Romans, and they did that. It doesn't say the prince. He doesn't act until verse 27. God showing us he is not going to really arise until the 70th week. Way in the future. Isn't that neat? And there's going to be a revived Roman Empire. You've heard this before, I think, most of you. And we're seeing it right now, by the way. It, we're, we're in a very critical period of the European Union. They're trying to accept, I think it's 10 nations, into uh, the EU. It's becoming one nation all over again. Isn't that incredible? We're watching it acted out right before our eyes right now. The Roman Empire, which was Europe and a little bit of North Africa and uh, into the east, is becoming one again, right before our eyes. And it's out of this revived Roman Empire that the Antichrist will come. Okay? So that's another big clue right there. The people who uh, destroyed the city of Jerusalem were the Romans, and it says the prince who is to come is from that people in the way in the future, but out of the revived Roman Empire. Okay, so, uh, slide. <clears throat> we'll, we'll summarize. Uh, Daniel 9, 24 through 27. This is the first passage we're going to look at. It's the first witness. We just interrogated him. Took a little doing to get the facts out of him. But the alias that we're going to have here for the Antichrist is the coming prince because his title there is in verse 25, the prince who is to come. Okay? 
I see those pens flying. Good. Okay. Uh, then we'll summarize it. Uh, slide, John. We're going to keep a little table going here as we go to each witness. Witness number one, I, I'm going to uh, block in uh, in gold or yellow the uh, points that were confirmed. So we saw in this one, one, two, five, and seven. Okay? Hang in there. I, this, this one is a, is a difficult one, and I said because it has an exact date. As we go through the witnesses, you're going to see, wow, look at how uh, regular and uniform the Word of God is on this guy. This is a good exercise, too, because I said last week, one of the most difficult things in Bible study is to get a handle on prophetic scripture. I, th- I see a lot of heads nodding. It was for me, because it's spread all over the uh, Bible. There's a lot of imagery. Um, there are a lot of things that have to tie together, but you have to remember what you read way back in Isaiah or Jeremiah when you're now in Second Thessalonians or Revelation or Matthew to tie them together. And there are a lot of details. And so this will be a good exercise because what we're going to do, we're going to focus on one thread throughout prophetic scripture, and that is let's follow the trail of the Antichrist. And you'll see just how uh, perfect the Word of God is in predicting what is going to come. So, our second witness is going to be Daniel chapter 7. Make a left turn. Go ahead, John. And his alias here is the little horn. Daniel chapter 7. It's a long vision. We're not going to be able to look at the whole thing. As I said, we're focusing on one thread. And so we're going to focus on the Antichrist. And this is like many of the other visions in Daniel where God is revealing four progressive empires. And the last one is the Roman Empire, which then becomes the revived Roman Empire in the end times. God runs them together. And so uh, we're just going to pick up in verse 7 to get the continuity. Verse 7, Daniel 7, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, Dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong, it had huge iron teeth, it was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. That's the Roman Empire. Okay? And if you're half a student of history, you know the Roman Empire just covered almost the face of the earth, and they just leveled everything wherever they went. And that's what it's describing. Now, here's the gap. Remember I told you, in prophetic scripture, God will just skip right over that thousands of year gap from uh, old prophecy to the end times, and he does it here. Verse 8, I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one. Here's the little horn. Coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. That's a key. This may well be the Antichrist. We've got to have point number seven, though, to confirm it, remember. But he's introduced here. Here's the, here's the, uh, the possibly blasphemous part. And the key, the key numbers of 10, 3, and 1, by the way, are all, out, all over Scripture as applying to the Antichrist. But we're not going to focus on that this morning. What we're going to do now, we're going to jump ahead to uh, verse 23. Because he inserts other aspects of the prophecy and then he comes back now to the revived Roman Empire and in particular the Antichrist. Verse 23 Thus he said the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth trample it and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom and another that's the little horn shall rise after them. He's already introduced this guy. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. That jives with other scripture about the Antichrist. Now listen. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. Three. Good. Shall persecute the saints of the Most High. Two. Hey, you guys are on the ball. Very good. And shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand... That's more of persecution. For, I love this, a time and time and half a time. Slide, John. I love that. 
God doesn't say three and a half years. He doesn't say half a week. He, he does it in a, in a great, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say mystery writer way, but in a hidden way. A time is how many? One. Times is what? It's two. That's right. And a half a time. Put them together. What do you got? Three and a half. Isn't that neat? I love the word of God. We're going to find that he talks about this time period five different ways in the Bible. Always the same time period, but he expresses it in different ways. So that's number what? Number one. Very good. Uh, but the court shall be seated and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and, dom- and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominion shall serve and obey him. Aha. Seven. And that's the one we need. We've got to have number seven. So this bad guy's career that lasts three and a half years terminates at the second coming of Christ. This indeed is the Antichrist. Isn't that neat? Did you ever know that before? I know some of you did. Okay. So we interrogated our witness uh, slide. And we came away this time with four different uh, confirming characteristics. You see that witness number two, the yellow, indicates what we got from that passage. Okay? Next witness, Daniel 11. Slide. His alias here is the willful king. And if you've got half of a Bible study Bible, you might even have that as the heading there. Uh, above the uh, section in verse 36. Another big gap, by the way. Remember I told you Antiochus Epiphanes. I mentioned the name. He was before Christ. He is in verses 21 through 35. And now we've got a huge gap again between 35 and 36. There's that gap. And in 36, out of the blue, he introduces this other guy called the Willful King. Let's listen. And watch for the clues. Then the king shall do according to his own will. That's why it's called the willful king. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god. Shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods. Three. Good. And by the way, there's another one there. Four. That's right. That's there too. He's worshipped. He shall exalt himself above the gods. He's worshipped. And shall prosper until the wrath has been accomplished for what has been determined shall be done. Well, we we can't fudge. No, I caught you, John. You want to be careful when you study the Word of God. Okay, we'd like to say it's the second coming, but it's not really clear. We're going to have a much clearer statement of it in a little bit. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. There's the worship. Part, okay, so we got what there three, four, and seven, right? This section continues. It goes into uh, details about what the Antichrist does in wars and treaties. We're going to skip that because it doesn't help our purpose right now. But it continues through verse twelve. That's, that chapter break interrupts the one section here. Verse twelve. Now, pardon me. Chapter twelve, verse one. At that time. Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. What does that sound like? No, no, I'm sorry. No, it's none of the clues, but it's a phrase you see elsewhere. What does it sound like? The great tribulation, absolutely. If you're familiar with Scripture, this particular description of a bad time is reserved only for that time. Jesus said it. It's a time such as the world has never seen or ever will see again. I'll tell you, you don't want to be here on planet Earth when this happens. You understand? If you don't know Jesus Christ, now's the time to come to Him. You do not want to... If Jesus says, it's a time like as has never seen, been on the world or never will be again, you don't want to be here. He doesn't exaggerate. Okay, let's keep going. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Now, here's another little clue because it's inferring the, the persecution, but it's also talking about some kind of deliverance now. We've got a new idea here. Just make a little mental note, okay? Everyone who is found written in the book and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. 
That's a clue. Yeah, Dimitri's grinning from ear to ear. You know what that is? That's the resurrection at the second coming. That's correct. Remember what Jesus is coming back for. He's coming back to rule over Israel. Who was the promise made to to enjoy that with him? The Jews. Israel. Right? I mean, we're going to participate in it as believers, but God made the promises to Israel that there would be a son of David to sit on the throne of David forever. Right? Well, what about all the believing Jews that are dead when Jesus comes back? How are they going to enjoy it with him? Ding! Resurrection. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to raise him from the dead at that point. The church is raised from the dead at the rapture. Seven years before that point. Okay? But the uh, believing Jews are not raised until Jesus comes back. That's, it's the second return. That's right. So that's, that's our seven, by the way. All right? Uh, then Daniel's told to shut up the words and so on. And uh, he asks the question in verse 6, How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? And he's answered in verse 7, I heard a man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. There we go. What is it? Number. What is it? Number one, yes. Um, and when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. What's that? What is it? Yes, it's persecuting the believers. That's right, the, the holy people. Okay, uh, he heard, he says in verse 8, and he didn't understand, not surprisingly. So, um, ver we're going to read the uh, remaining verses 11 through 13 here, because it's very tantalizing when we read it. Verse 11, From the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, and the abomination of desolation is set up. Okay, that sounds like Daniel 9, doesn't it? Isn't this, and remember what I told you? Back in Daniel 9, uh, we just had the word abomination and the word desolation kind of separate. Here he puts them together. First of all, he says the abomination of desolation, and then he says it's set up. Whoa! This is an idol. Okay? Clue number? Five. Okay, and then he says there shall be 1,290 days. Oh, wow. And immediately, the people read that and they go, ah, oh, here's the key. The problem is, it's not the key. In fact, read on. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. But you go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. Wouldn't it be great to use one of those? Is the key? Which one would you use? You, the, you have to be an honest student of Scripture when you study the Word of God. God does not give a clear ending point for either one of those periods. If you have to be honest about it. He's been talking about the end times till here, till here and, he's, and he gives us a starting point. He says, from the time of the daily sacrifice being taken away and the abomination of desolation set up. We know when that is. It's in the middle of the last week, right? But he doesn't say until. You can look until you're blue in the face. You're not going to find what those two periods, 1290 and 1335, go to. Right? So we, as, as nice as they look, we can't use them. Okay? I, uh, I can speculate. I'm not going to do it right now. Ask me afterwards uh, and, I'll, and I'll tell you what they may refer to. But the, it's very clear. We are looking... For our key, we're looking for a very distinct period of time that we can say, this is the beginning of it, and this is the end of it. And we're not going to quit until we find that. So we can honestly say, yeah, we know exactly what this time period refers to. And we really can't do it there as much as we like to. Okay, so, uh, slide. We harvested quite a bit of evidence there, didn't we? Everything but uh, number six. Okay, next. Let's go listen to the Lord Jesus. Matthew, chapter 24. I love this, you know. You see the deity of Christ here. 
just in that one little section where he adds more information about the abomination of desolation. Um, Daniel had it given to him by a vision. The Lord Jesus is just speaking on a daily basis, and he, and he tells more information than only God could know. Isn't that great? Yes? I think it is. <clears throat> Matthew 24. Okay, now I put verses 15 through 30. Of course, the whole chapter is pretty much devoted to the end times. But uh, the alias here I, I uh, picked is the false Christ. And um, I picked that because if you'll notice here, as he's talking about the end times, he says in verse 24, for false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And you say, well, there's more than one there. That's right. But the ultimate false Christ, of course, is the Antichrist. And he's the one who does these things, great signs and wonders. We'll see that when we get into Revelation. He actually has his own false prophet as well. Okay. But that, uh, that's not important. see that clearly show a tie-in with the Antichrist and what we're going to look at in Revelation later. And it's found in verse 15. Jesus says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. Isn't that great? He's adding more information. We know it's going to be in the temple. He says, When you see that, Whoever reads, let him understand, inferring that it's the, peop the people listening are not going to be around when it happens. It's going to be for somebody who reads this. Isn't that neat? Then, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. And you say, oh, well, yeah, everybody knows that one. Th there are two big clues right here that are so important for understanding Revelation. One of them is this. <clears throat> when does the fleeing of the Jews relate to the sinning up of the idol? How, how close are they? Huh? What is it? That's right. They're simultaneous. That's very important. I know you're saying, what's the big deal? You'll see in a minute. In fact, Jesus stresses they have to be simultaneous. He says, as soon as you see that idol standing in the temple, don't even go back and get your coat. Man, that's, get out of there now. Don't even go back for the family photo album. Right? That's very important. God, Jesus makes some coincidence. The other thing, and this is one I'm surprised nobody uh, has noticed. Where does he tell them to flee? To the mountains. Now, you think Sierras, don't you? They don't have Sierras in Israel. In fact, the word that he uses here, any Jew at that time or any knowledgeable Jew today reading that, you know what they, they would know he's talking about when he says that? And he's not talking about Mark, Mount Carmel and Hermon. What is it? Very good. Yeah, Petra, but more particularly the area where Petra is the wilderness. That's the mountains. That's what is referred to here. And I think often we read this and we think, oh yeah, Jesus is like us, you know. We use the expression, we say, you better head for the hills. Jesus doesn't talk like that. He's being very specific. He is telling them a place to go for safety. You understand? He's saying, the place for you to go for safety is the wilderness. Where the mountain, that's, that's, what, that's what the mountains meant when he spoke. And you've seen pictures of Masada. And all the cliffs down there by the Dead Sea. You have, right, some of you? Remember when we did um, Obadiah and we saw the slides of Petra? That's the area. So he's not being just kind of generally vague and saying head for the hills. He's saying to save yourselves, head for the wilderness. Got it? I know you're saying, why is he doing this? You'll find out in a minute. Okay. Um, so, by the way, there was a clue here. It's not hard to understand. What is it? Okay, yeah, the idol, obviously. Yes, very good. The idol. What else? Persecuting. Persecuting yeah. 
He's not telling them to uh, run to the mountains because they need exercise. It's because they're going to be killed. There's a death sentence right now. The moment that idol is set up, the Antichrist is going to take his mask off and he's going to go out after him big time. And they've got to get out of there. Okay. Um, I wonder uh, if this uh, period talked about here ends with the second coming. Let's see. How about verse 29? Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. What do you think? Think that might be the second coming? Okay. There's our number seven. We have to have that. Okay, so... Uh, we got just three points from this one, two, five, and seven. But we got we came away for with some more very important information that we're going to use later. Okay, next, Second Thessalonians chapter two. Here, uh, our culprit has three aliases. Interestingly enough, man of sin, son of perdition. And the lawless one. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Okay, as I read through it now, you tell me any clues that appear. Second Thessalonians uh, chapter 2 verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. What was that? Yeah, listen to this. So that he sits as God in the temple of God. Whoa, can you imagine that? I'll tell you, it's going to be a chilling, terrifying time when these things actually happen because he's going to be worshipped and people are going to want to worship him. He is going to be like nobody anybody's ever seen before. So whenever he's in town, you know, and has some extra time, you don't need the idol. He'll be there personally to worship showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things and so on. Uh, verse 8. And then the lawless one, there's his third alias, will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Very good. You guys are sharp. Uh, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders and with all unrighteousness. What was that? Six. There you go. It's the first time we've seen that. And it, it's not surprising that we don't see that until we get to the New Testament. The uh, in, empowering by Satan. Uh, among those who perished because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Okay. So, slide. So, we saw uh, three more clues here in Second Thessalonians. Finally, Revelation. We're going to see, of course... Revelation, we shouldn't be surprised, is loaded with information about the Antichrist. We'll start in chapter 13. Slide. I think you know his alias in the book of Revelation is the beast. Now, there are, let me tell you ahead of time. There are two beasts here in Revelation. Um, there's the beast from the sea and there's a the beast from the land. But it is only the... Uh, one that is called the beast. When, when you see uh, the second beast uh, referred to, here at verse uh, 13, it says, I stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. That's the Antichrist. He is the guy. The second beast out of the land is the false prophet that points worship to the Antichrist. By the way, I think you've heard, you know, the, uh, there's a false trinity surrounding the aura of the Antichrist. There's the Antichrist himself, there's the false prophet, and of course there's the devil, the power behind it all. But um, when talking about the beast from the sea, that's only when God uses the phrase the beast. The, the prophet is never, he's a secondary guy, is never called the beast. So the Antichrist himself is indeed the beast out of the sea. So, uh, chapter 13, verse 1, we saw him rising out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. Remember that from Daniel? Huh? 
You guys got a short, short-term memory. Some of you remember anyway. And on his horns ten uh, crowns, and on his head's a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. That's right, it's number six. You'll see in a minute, the dragon is who? That's right, he's Satan. And we're told that plainly in the book of Revelation. So that's point number six. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon and gave authority, who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast. Four, saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. Three, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. I love it. 42 months, how long is that? Three and a half. Tom, he's used to working with numbers. We'll have to break it down for you. Three years is 36 months, three times 12, right? Add six months, half a year, you get 42. Three and a half years. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. That's right. By the way, we saw the word saints back in Daniel. You see it here. Be careful. Whenever you see the word saints, it doesn't always mean the church. Did you know that? You didn't. Woo. Okay. Saints. The word saint is taken from the word sanctify. It simply means to set apart. And it simply means those who are set apart. In this, and in this case, for God's use. And depending on the context, it generally like in the New Testament epistles like uh, Ephesians or Corinthians, saints is referring to church, believers in the church. But when it's referring to, like, for example, in Daniel, the church wasn't even there. It wasn't talking about the church in some hidden futuristic way. It was talking about believing Jews, Israel. Okay? And here, too, we know uh, from many of the passages we've already looked at that the seven years, particularly the last three and a half, is focused on who? Israel. Where's the church? It's gone. Church, very good. This guy's sharp over here. Tommy. You want to finish it? No, you're doing great. The church is gone at the rapture. Okay? And so it's all who believe in that day, most of whom are going to be Jews. There's going to be a, an incredible revival in the nation of Israel as they do indeed recognize their Messiah as Jesus Christ. Okay? I'm glad we talked about that, aren't you? When you see the word saints, be careful. Don't always say the church. When you read that, particularly, if you're in the Old Testament, it's talking about believers and most probably Israel. Uh, okay. And, over, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation, and so on. Let's get to uh, beast number two because uh, we've got almost all the clues here. How many have we filled out so far, you guys that are keeping track? All but what? Five and seven. And what's number five? The idol. Let's see. Verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. This is the false prophet, his sidekick. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. What do you think? Think it might be an idol? Okay, associated with the Antichrist? By the way, when I made this list, I was very careful in how I phrased that. Notice I did not say he sets up an idol. No one in Scripture does it says he does it. And a lot of people think that. He's such a, you know, a humble guy. He steps aside and lets them build one to him. And in fact, here, it's really the secondary guy that's behind the building of the image. Isn't that interesting? And God is uniform throughout Scripture in saying that. It's, it's some believers who think that he does it. He doesn't do it. Uh, his sidekick does it. Okay, well, we've got number five. 
we have to have seven or this might be Joe Blow, you know, John Q. Esquire. We've got to make sure this is the Antichrist. We have to have point number seven. And God uh, intervenes with other subjects in the next uh, four chapters. And then in chapter 19, that's where we'll pick up point number seven. Chapter 19. And lest there be any doubt as to what this is describing, look at verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Who's this? This is Jesus Christ coming. That's right. Um, I love this verse 16. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is Jesus Christ coming back, not as the humble lowly prophet from Galilee but as God incarnate the true just righteous ruler to finally take his place here and when he comes uh, verse 19 and I saw the beast by the way I think it's very clear the beast remember there were two of them but when God says the beast he's always talking about the first one that's why I think it's pretty clear that's the antichrist uh, the flesh of uh, king, oh, I'm sorry, uh, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. You talk about a hopeless undertaking. Can you imagine? Jesus Christ coming in his glory. Every eye shall see him, it says. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? Everyone is going to see him. You're not, not going to have to wait your turn, okay? When he comes in glory, we're all going to see him. Everyone. Can you imagine? Assembling together to make war against him? Woo! That's what they're going to do. Uh, okay. They uh, make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Verse 20. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Would you say that his career terminates at the second coming of Christ? Amen. Okay, we've got him. We hit the jackpot this time, huh, John? Got all seven of them. Okay. Did you learn anything? Did you see how prophetic scripture fits together on the subject of the Antichrist? Isn't that great? And there are other characteristics I said that we didn't look at. But now I know you're sitting there and you're saying, where's the clue? We've got to think about it a second. We began to learn here in the New Testament, and we shouldn't be surprised, that the force behind the man is really greater than the man himself. And he's the greatest bad guy of them all. Who is it? That's right, it's the devil. There have been a lot of great, uh, bad guys in history. Judas. And guess who empowered him? Guess who was the real force behind the man? That's right. uh, Jesus said the night he was betrayed he said the prince of this world is coming who was coming it was Judas but Jesus said it was the prince of this world Judas wasn't the prince of this world it was the devil you see Jesus saw through the man to the real force behind the evil it was the devil and the real moving force behind the antichrist in fact he doesn't have any power at all where did it come from the devil that's right and Tom knows if you really want to get to the root of a problem, be it a gang or a drug group, you don't want to get the low guys. Who do you want to get? That's right. You want to get the main guy, the top guy, the godfather. And in this case, we know who it is. It's who? That's right. And that's where the key, that's where God left the key. And we're going to confirm it when we look at it. It's found in chapter 12. In the book of Revelation, I call this the devil's lair because the whole chapter is devoted to describing the career of this evil being from beginning to end. And the interesting thing is that God is going to show that he is the real guy that's persecuting, believing Israel and responsible for the bad three and a half years. That doesn't mean the Antichrist isn't to blame. He knows very well what he's doing. He wants to do it. He cooperates. But the ultimate source is the devil. He's, he's, a, he's as I said, the godfather. <clears throat> and so let's read it here. 
go ahead and uh, bring up the next slide because interestingly, he has tons of other names in the Bible. And in this chapter, he has four alone. The dragon, the serpent of old, the devil, and Satan. Chapter 13, verse 1, that I stood on the sand of the sea. I'm sorry, chapter 12. Um, now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Just to save time, I know some uh, former Catholics or maybe even present Catholics are sitting here thinking, oh, that's Mary. This is not Mary. Do you know who it is? It's Israel. It's the nation of Israel, and it will become clear as we go through it. The uh, uh, moon and the stars, of course, are probably a reference back to Joseph's dream back in Genesis. Okay? So being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. We're going to leave that thought now, and we're going to look at somebody else for a moment, and then we're going to come back to it. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. There's that seven and ten crown thing again. Who's that remind you of? The Antichrist, the beast. Isn't that interesting? See the close identification there? <clears throat> his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman. By the way, that's talking about his rebellion in heaven. Very good. I see heads grinning, or heads nodding and, and mouths grinning. That's right. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Before we talk about what that is, let's look and see who the child is. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Wow. Okay, who's that? That's Jesus. Okay? Yeah, it's the Lord Jesus. What is that talking about? The dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour a child as soon as it was born. What's that talking about? Herod. Can you imagine that? Killing all the children two years and under in a, in a, in a country? Man, that's what he did. But who's the action ascribed to? The devil. There it is. Do you see that? See, Herod did it. Uh, Judas did it but it was the devil that was the originator of the evil himself so was the antichrist we've come to the headquarters we're, we're, we're going through the drawers Tom and the papers in the, in the chief hideout here if you will of the antichrist of the evil one <clears throat> verse 6 now you're going to see why I made such a big deal about Matthew 24 well, we're going to skip verse 6 we're going to go down to uh, verse 13, we'll come back to verse 6 in a minute. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. This is yet to happen. As we speak, the devil, believe it or not, still has access to heaven. If no other place, we see it in the book of Job. But there is coming a time, I believe very soon, it'll be three and a half years after the church is gone, that he is going to be kicked out and never be able to get to heaven again. And you think they're going to be happy in heaven? Read verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. You think they're happy? But listen to this. Uh, verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows <clears throat> that he has a short time. That's scary. Just hearing those words. And now, I don't know if you noticed in reading that, but what this says is, Hard to believe. I would think that the devil would exert himself to the max 24 hours a day. He doesn't have to sleep, you know. But what this says is, because he, and he knows exactly how long he has, by the way. He's going to have three and a half years. He knows that period. And knowing that, he is going to be especially dangerous. That's what they're saying here. Don't they? Because he knows he has a short time. He says, boy, I'm sorry for you guys down there. That's what they're saying. Woo! I wouldn't want to be here. 
Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Ah, what does that sound like? Who did it? The Antichrist was doing it, wasn't he? This says the devil's doing it. Who's doing it? <laughs> Maybe we have two parallel persecutions here, huh? No! The devil doesn't have a body. He is literally going to uh, occupy the body of the Antichrist. He's going to possess him. And he's going to act through this man. So that this is talking about the one and the same persecution we've been seeing. It's just showing us who's really behind it. We've taken the mask really off now. And we're seeing who's going to be doing the acting. It's the devil incarnate. Imagine. But, read on. <clears throat> the woman was <clears throat> given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly where? The wilderness. Now, do you remember when I made such a big deal about that? Now you see the tie-in. Isn't that great? Jesus told them ahead of time, I have a place prepared for you. It's out in the wilderness. You go out there. Flee to the mountains. Where she is nourished for how long? Does that sound familiar? Time and times and half a time. Hey, we're reading about the same thing. Do you believe that? It's the same thing. But we're seeing who's really doing it. It's the devil. And the uh, serpent tries various tricks to get to her, but God constantly protects the nation of Israel. Now, verse 6, our golden key. Because twice in this chapter, God shows the same statement, but he does it two different ways. Verse 6, Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. And you can compare that with verse 14, and they read right side by side. In the wilderness, cared for, safe, in one case, time, times, and half a time. We know what that is. Here, it's 1,260 days. Do the slide there. John. <clears throat> and there's our golden key. You see how we got there? Yes? <clears throat> Are you convinced? Sort of? <clears throat> okay. Uh, and we're gonna, next week now, we will, we will put it all together. We'll apply the golden key because you divide 1,260 by three and a half, what you end up with is 360-day years. And that's great. If you know our solar year is not exactly 365 and a quarter, it's 365.234987 and it goes on forever. It's not exact. It's a terrible length of time. God, in this prophecy, used a 30-day month times 12, 360. Wouldn't that be nice if it was like that? And we're going to apply this now and we're going to go back and see the fulfillment in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're not just going to see it, we're going to actually see him act it out. We're going to watch his behavior when the clock runs out on this. And you're going to be wonderfully amazed, I think, when you see it. The wonderful uh, fit of the Word of God in this prophecy. Okay. And uh, we're going to close with, uh, as I prepared, I thought of this wonderful hymn. We, have, we don't sing it very often. It's called, Thy Word is Like a Garden, Lord. And in this song, it's uh, 225, the uh, Word of God is compared to many things. And in one case, the, the hymn writer compares it to a mine. And um, this will be my closing remarks here, but I just want to say this. I'm doing this for many reasons, this series, but one of them is I hope it stimulates you to deeper Bible study. Or if nothing else, a deeper appreciation of the Word of God. And in the hymn, he talks about the Word of God being like a mine with treasures and jewels in it. And whenever I read that, I think of the time that Eric and I went caving up in the foothills of the Sierras. And it, it was like a half a day thing. We were in these coveralls with the, you know, the headlamp on, the whole bit, crawling through muddy passages. And when you first start and you go through the stuff, it's all it's muddy and it's dirty and it's ugly and you're tired and you're wet. And you say, uh, there's nothing down here. And then all of a sudden, you wiggle through a tunnel, and, you, and all of a sudden it breaks out, and here's this room. And it'll have stalactites, stalagmites, soda straws, crystals. It just knocks your eye out. You just want to stay there and just look at it. It's so beautiful. 
And that's the way it is with the Word of God. It's not, not that it's muddy or anything, but sometimes we read it and we say, okay, I think I've seen everything there is to see. But if you just hang in there, the way we have done on Daniel 9, all of a sudden you're going to come to that room, and that's what's going to happen next week. There are going to be all kinds of things that are going to open up because we hung in there. Okay? So, let's, so we'll sing the hymn, and then we'll be done. Matt? <coughs>